You're listening to Huddle Up, a football podcast. Each week, Tony Dyer leads the huddle and tackles the hottest topics around the NFL. He's joined by guests from all around the football world, bringing their insights and reactions to the news and noise of the National Football League. Subscribe now to join the huddle. Welcome back to Huddle Up, a football podcast. My name's Tony. You can find me on Twitter at Commissioner Mister. And today I'm joined by Dr. Jesse Morse. That's Morse like the code, sports medicine and regenerative medicine specialist. He's a partner and a provider for the Fantasy Doctors. You can find them on Twitter at the Fantasy DRS. And you can find Dr. Jesse Morse on Twitter at his name, at Dr. Jesse Morse. Uh, Just a few days ago, Adam Schefter broke news that Zeke was one of two players on the Cowboys who've tested positive for the coronavirus. And that, that brought, it, it, it seems as though when everything started opening back up again here in the sports world, the NFL, and now it seems like it's the NFL's turn to be severely afflicted by this. Uh, Zeke is not the first superstar to, to be diagnosed with coronavirus. We talked about Von Miller. Uh, I think that might've been a month and a half ago or so, but um, feel like forever. it does feel like forever ago. Uh, Von Miller had a great message. I think he handled that perfectly. Zeke isn't handling it as well. Zeke, immediately went to Twitter shouting about HIPAA and, and talking about how his agent didn't leak the information. He just confirmed it. So he wants to know who got this information out. I think it's really interesting to see him respond that way, considering that he just made headlines a couple of weeks ago for being a, a Dak Prescott party. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. So the question is ready to get it and you'll never know. Well, you could probably figure it out. That's called bracing, but it's very challenging and expensive to do and is not foolproof in its own right. So, and, and that brings the question to me, doctor, in a time where people are going back to work, uh, we just had soccer yesterday. Uh, so Tuesday, I guess, two days ago, um, in a time where people are going back to work and things are, you're going back out to the mall, everything's opening up restaurants. Are you, are you seeing people be too lax about this? Yes. Um, so I'll give you context. I live in Florida, South Florida. Um, I've been open for. Well, my clinic never closed, but um, in terms of uh, local stuff, uh, I live just north of Palm Beach. So that Palm Beach, uh, Fort Lauderdale, and Miami have, were closed longer than the rest of the state. But th- th- uh, I live just above it, so we were open uh, two weeks before everything else. So everybody from <laughs> West Palm and, and whatnot would come up here because everything was open. Um I went out to eat three weeks ago um, when we were still at 50% capacity, um, and I did not see one mask the entire night. Um, So that gives you some idea that, um, and and, and I was in Miami a week later, and you can't even get into a building without a mask on. Like, nothing. You can't do, they won't let you in anywhere. If you are, I was at a restaurant there, um, and they let you in with the mask on, you were at the table uh, with the mask on. Then you take the mask off to eat. They gave you a brown paper bag uh, to put your mask in. If you had to go to the bathroom, you had to put your mask on in order to go to the bathroom. Wow. Uh, so every area is a little different. Um, my, I'm from Massachusetts. My parents live in Massachusetts, and they still said it's pretty strict. There's some things open, but a lot of things aren't. Um, and, and the hours are, are, are a little weird. Um, but so it, it really depends on the location and the local regulation and the local government, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, w- what the rules have been. Um, we've seen that, 
the numbers over the past two to three weeks have skyrocketed. Um, just looking for reference, I just happened to pull up uh, Worldometers, uh, which is a, a pretty reliable source. Um, yesterday, uh, Florida had 2,610 uh, cases, um, to get, you know, which is very high. They never had that many, you know, in March or April. It was just never that high. Texas has 3,500. California has over 4,000. So just from yesterday. So the cases are starting to rise more and that, yes, they're testing more, but at the same time, people are going more out to eat. They're going trying to get back to work. And the problem is most people aren't wearing their masks. So there is going to be some transmission because the data shows that uh, anywhere from 30 to 70% of the spread is by asymptomatic or non, not having any symptoms um, people. Uh, and some of those people will develop symptoms, and then that would be termed pre-symptomatic. Or you have the people who never have symptoms and just eventually clear it, and they don't even know they had it to begin with. And those are completely asymptomatic carriers. Unfortunately, being an asymptomatic carrier during its infectious state will still transmit the virus. This is a droplet virus, um, unlike you know HIV or something where it has to be blood or sexually transmitted. Um, the uh, this you can get through you know speaking across the room, uh, spitting, anything like that. Uh, you know, there's even some recent data to show that conversation uh, between two people at six feet apart with no masks on generates a small cloud of of saliva in the air locally, and you can still transmit it that way even at that distance. Um, so, unfortunately, this is very challenging. To, to get a hold of uh, because all it takes is one person to have it to respread it again. And then you no longer have eradication. Yeah. Oh gosh. That brings up back to when we first started talking with Rudy Gobert, touching everything on the microphones. That takes me way mm -hmm. back when you say that. And, and it's interesting, the asymptomatic stuff, I, from what I understand, there's been some controversy there. I saw you responded to somebody on Twitter about that. Allegedly, Zeke is one of those asymptomatic cases. That's I did read that somewhere. I don't know how reliable that was. I can't I can't tell you where I read that. Um, but I read that he didn't have symptoms and he wasn't sick and he had to, didn't have to deal with that. He just got a positive test. Doesn't that? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's going to happen. That's going to happen to a lot of people. It's scary how how that. Ha I mean, that, that's just a scary thing to think about, especially when you couple that with a guy like Zeke, who just days ago was at a house party with who knows with the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, what is going on here? Dr. Anthony Fauci is saying that he's a little bit concerned that football might not happen this year. Before the show, we posted on Twitter um, that you were coming on and, pe and people could ask questions. And one, of the, one person asked, uh, at Med20Investor, div.m, I don't know his name, at Med20Investor asked um, about your thoughts on Fauci's statement that the NFL may not even have a football season because of a second wave of coronavirus. And are we in the second wave? Is that what this is? So let, let's step back and um, the issue with certain providers is that their statements may be politically charged. I guess is probably the easiest way to say it. Okay. So, um, and, and unfortunately, as much as we don't want to make this into politics, there's a crossover that we can't help but go into. Um, and I, I try to say as non-political as possible, but, the, you know, there is so much crossover, it's hard not to. Um, but so 
it's funny how he says, you know, one sport can come back, but one sport can't. And I'm like, there's not that much of a difference between the two. I mean, so um, the question for NFL is a challenging question to say the least. Um, and um, I, at this time, I still think it will happen. At this time, I think they're going to use the data and resources and information uh, and mistakes that um, the Major League Baseball, that soccer, that anybody in the whole world that's playing right now is doing. They will take tips from them and implement them appropriately. Um, if you, I retweeted a video yesterday, I think it was yesterday, um, of uh, tennis star Andy Murray getting a live test. And this was the second day in a row of getting it. So he's like, uh, the, the, the person recording asked, so does this bother you? Like, is it uncomfortable? He said, the first time I had it, because I didn't know what I was in for, it wasn't a big deal. Now that I know what I'm about to get, I, I'm, I don't like it. Like, it's uncomfortable. So you see the person doing the test, he has two swabs. One swab goes deep into the throat, to the point of gagging throat. Uh, that, uh, it was taken out, and then I believe he grabbed a separate um, um, uh, device, uh, basically a long Q-tip, and then put it very deep into his nose. I'm to the point. I'm talking about like a three to four inch Q-tip, uh, and it was completely all the way down into his nose. You couldn't even see it anymore. My God! Uh, and they took it out. Yeah, it's crazy. He took it out, and then he, I'm pretty sure they did the other side as well. So, and you could see Murray just obviously very uncomfortable. Um, the data shows that the nasal passage has the highest rate of, of positivity. So the, that's where you get the best bang for your buck. But if you're going to do it, you might as well do all three, both nasal passages in your throat so that you cover all three bases. But you obviously want to use, ideally want to use three different swabs so that you're not pulling off of any positive cells as you go back in to get more cells. If it, the way this test works is if there's a uh, a piece of the RNA or the piece of the uh, sequence, the genetic sequence of the virus in and around the cells, it will be positive. It, there, it doesn't exist otherwise. So there's, it's hard to get a false uh, reading because if it doesn't exist, then it, you're not going to get a positive. Um, the issue is some people don't have uh, any RNA in this part of their saliva or this part of their nasal passage, so they may still have it. They just may not have a negative effect because it's not because they didn't happen to find it in there. So that you know, and we even had studies where uh, they do uh, where we call bronchial washing, which is uh, taking um, some fluid from deep in the lungs, and there have been several negative tests from that, and the person still was positive for it. So there's no perfect test for this to show that someone has an active case for it. The issue that I think players are going to start to experience is that they are going to have to do this every day. Because if you're going to be around your peers every day, then there's a chance that you're going to be positive. So you want to check them as, as often as possible and get the results back as soon as possible so that you can prevent spreading. You know, and, and, and in the case of the NBA, when you have, you know, 50 guys within, you know, uh, 10 rooms, 15 rooms, whatever it is, um, then, and they're always, you know, they're together more often than not, um, there's going to be a high risk for spread, um, even if one person gets it. So it's a crazy time. 
but unfortunately they're going to have to do this daily and they're going to learn to hate it. But if, if they want to play the game, that's the only choice they have. Yeah. So a tweet came out. I think it was Schefter, uh, Tom Palesero. Sorry about that. Chef. Sorry, Tom. Uh, preventing players with the coronavirus from being on field is going to be a big deal. And Palesero tweeted that the NFLPA has optimism in a call. He tweeted in a call with agents today, NFLPA medical director, Tom Mayer said, Current plan is to test players for COVID-19 about three times a week. You've already said you think it should be every day. I would argue it should be twice a day, but that's not the point yet. And they would isolate any who test positive. Per mayor, that's the NFLPA medical director, he believes there's a 90% chance that reliable salvia testing will be available before players can return to facilities, or before they do, uh, you know, before August. So I got a bunch of questions here in this tweet. First of all, is three times a week enough? Secondly, is, is saliva testing a legitimate, I mean, is that something down the road that could stop this grueling testing process that you're talking about right now? Is that a viable testing solution? And then the third one is going to be if, if we're testing players multiple times to keep them safe, that's one thing, but what should be done about fans so that fans can, if, or do you think they're going to attend and what needs to be done so they can attend? Basically, what would it take for you to endorse me going to a football game? Three questions, a lot there. So, Sorry. Um, Here's the issue. Um, each sport has to be taken individually in terms of specifics. Um, don't get me started with baseball. Uh, I'm a baseball fan, not a big fan of what's going on. But um, in terms of football, because these guys live by themselves, because they are not physically together every day, it's most days, and, and they're sub kind of grouped. Um, I think that I think three is a little short, but I think that um, they may bump that up. Uh, maybe they do something along the lines of um, like Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, or something like that. Sure. Something along the lines of so if you check it on Tuesday, you're checking for the last three days. Um, uh, you know, a Thursday would check the rest of Tuesday and, and Wednesday. And then the Saturday would check the rest of Thursday, Friday, some of Saturday, and give you an idea by Sunday if they were good to go. Sure. And that falls but, in, too. The, you know, the, the thought that they would bump that up does fall in with what the NFLPA had said earlier. The, in the past, they had said they don't want to hog the tests. If there's not a surplus of testing, they don't want to be testing guys. They don't want to be hogging them all so that the general public can't find out what, what their status is. So maybe you're right about that. And, and you had mentioned... Sometimes things are a little politically motivated. Maybe we're saying three times a week when in reality, we hope it can be more. Um, that was, that was, I'm glad you mentioned that. And then I think the other uh, important thing is nowadays you can pretty much get a test wherever you want. one. Um, if you want it, you will get it. It's no longer restrictive. It's no longer challenging. Um, the question and the difference is which tests are they doing? There's different brands. There's different types of tests. These tests that you're talking about here uh, have, a, have a, a very good accuracy rate, but there are kind of differences between them where you want one that is as accurate, accurate as possible. And to do that, and, and you also need a lab that can run these fast and also have a, a turnaround time. So it doesn't do you any good if you do a test on Monday and you go back into society and you don't get the results until Friday. If it's positive, you're, you would have spread it to potentially thousands of people between Monday and Friday. So you need to have a fast turnaround. It doesn't do you any good if you do a test and then 
the lag time is so long that you do a second test before you get the first test result. Well, what's the, what was the point of the first test? You have to have it done ideally within a couple hours uh, or best case scenario within the day, you know, within 24 hours. That would be ideal. Um, they're working on things. Uh, I don't know how far along it is, but they're working on one that is like a pregnancy test that tells you within 15 minutes. I don't whether or not it's accurate or whether or not it's uh, you know coming to fruition is a different story. But that would be ideal until we don't have to worry about this anymore. So um, is, is that the kind of wait time? Of the, I'm sorry. Is that the kind of wait time that we would have on a saliva test? Do you? I don't. I didn't. I don't know uh, anything they, about. They've ranged. They've ranged uh, from within a couple hours to seven days. Okay. Uh, depending on the brand, depending on so. It's hard to find this data out, and, and I, I don't really don't look at the specifics anymore uh, because it's hard to find anyway. And then, the, the, like, a lot of the brand, a lot of these companies aren't going to tell you which brand they're using. So then it's like, all right, I know all these brands' numbers, but then which one are they using? Um, and a lot of that's going to be also, you know, who do they know? How much are they getting it for? That, you know, a lot of that comes down to it. If they, if, if they can, you know, go from 88% accuracy rate to 85%, but one test, the, the better test is two dollars a piece, and the other test is one dollar a piece. Which one do you think they're going to spring for? Right. Um, you, you know, so that you know that's another role in it. So there's a lot of moving parts to this. the The data shows, as of now, the saliva uh, is not quite as good as nasal uh, mucosa and, and, and that. So um, if they get to a point where saliva is uh, just as good then great, but if not, they still should do nasal, which is probably, it is more uncomfortable, but uh, if you're going to do it and you want to do a test that's actually worth the while, then do the right one. Um, the blood test only will show you if you've been exposed to the infection, but it won't tell you whether or not it's live, at least not uh, the majority of the testing. Um, the last question, I don't remember what it was. How do we keep fans safe? What needs to happen for you to... to Oh. endorsed me going to a game. Yeah, so um, kind of a slippery slope. So this year, I don't think baseball will, at least in the regular season, if it does happen, will have any fans. We know pretty much to a T that the regular season in basketball will not have any fans. Football is uh, up in the air in terms of fans. I think ideally they want fans attend. I just don't know if that's a realistic, uh, realistic right now. Um, and, and, and college is probably going to be the same thing. So I'll, in, 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 I'll mention that in a sec because there was a good article that came out today that, that got me thinking. But in terms of NFL, um, the goal should be to play the game, not to fill the stands. You can fill the stands, but what good is it without a game? So um, the best way to keep the players safe is to limit their exposure to COVID. Well, if you have 20, 30, 50, 100,000 screaming fans within 100 feet of them, probably not decreasing their risk. So if they do um, end up having fans, it's going to be at significant decreased volume. We're talking 20, 30% maybe. Um, the, the Dolphins, 
uh, got some backlash as the only team to have said something so far, and I think they said something along the lines of 20 or 30 percent. But ever since then, I have not heard any specific numbers, um, and I think that's not by random. I think that's by, by specific instruction. Until they get a better handle on it, they don't want to burn any bridges. To my knowledge, you still can buy season tickets, but I'm sure, I'm hoping that they're refundable if it's not, if they can't go. Yeah. And, and my conversation with my season ticket rep, it sounds like she was not, you know, she wasn't like super forthcoming, but she did put me at ease in that, you know, if they don't have any games, they're not taking my money. That's basically, that's basically the, the gist of the message was I'm, I mean, at least getting 2021 for free. I, and if not, they're, they're, they said they've got options for that. I did see, I think it was Minnesota months ago, did open up regular season ticket sales, but they only, they didn't make the, a huge announcement, but only 50% of regular tickets that are available are available for sale. So they're not, they're not trying to sell out. And I think that was Minnesota, but I don't remember for sure. So the question becomes, say you sell, just to make it easy, 50,000 tickets. Okay. They're already sold and they collected all the money. And then what happens if you can only have 20,000 fans? Yeah. How do you pick who gets to go? So is it the first 10,000 people? Is it or whatever it is? Yeah. Is it like that's got to be a coordinating nightmare. So I, I don't know. I literally have no idea how they're going to do that. And, and thankfully I have nothing to do with that decision. The, the next equally as big question, and, and for some people listening, a uh, bigger question, because uh, some people love college more than they do love pros, um, is what does college do about COVID? So right now, there was a good article. I think it was from New York Times. I don't remember where I read it. Point. But it, it begged the question, some colleges are anticipating enrollment in the fall. Other colleges are not as optimistic. The question becomes, this is just for regular school, not, excuse me, not even for sports. So if they are so dependent on that tuition and they need to have people on campus, how can they possibly control COVID in a dorm or whatever, so much so without decreasing the volume of people on campus or tuition, which indirectly is going to cause some financial hardships as a result. The same question applies for um, sports. If you expect to fill, you know, 50, 100,000, which some of these stadiums can actually handle, um, I don't think that that's realistic in the next three months. I mean, we are closer to a vaccine per report, but I don't think that that's realistic is going to happen until 2021. Um, and I personally wouldn't get it even if it was available until 2021. I don't want to be the first or second person to get it. Um, those things take time and you need to vet them extensively um, before um, you put that in your body and cannot get it back out. Uh, the last thing you want is a vaccination to cause cancer, but fix corona or something along the line. So, um, you know, so there's so many more questions than we have answers. I think we have more answers than a last month or the month before. But as we learn more, we have more questions. And we realize that, uh, 
this is just a coordinating nightmare and there's no other way around it. As you were talking about college, Adam Schefter retweeted from NFL Update, the University of Texas has announced that 13 football players have tested positive for COVID-19 four days after they began voluntary summer workouts. All 13 are in isolation. Another 10 are also in quarantine as a result of contact tracing. The SEC, well, you, you were asked this question by uh, Jeff Abercrombie's his name. I don't know if that's really his name. The Sofa Scout on Twitter. How do you feel about the, knowing this, what we just talked about, 13 players four days after they get back to, to camp. How do you feel about the SEC saying they're opening everything up? I mean, they, they've made, the, they made, it, made it very clear. So here's the problem. I think they, if they want to have football, they have to be really careful about how they approach it. If you, and I, I tweeted something earlier as a hypothetical, and it's scary how true it is. What if you're in a room with 10 people? None of the people knowingly have corona, but one of them does. None of them are wearing masks. Say they're 25, whatever. I don't care how old they are. Um, they then all separate. One, that one person who happened to have corona happened to give it to three others. The other six were lucky. Um, those four people are now positive. Maybe the first one has already passed his, infect- his or her infectious state, so they are no longer uh, able to spread it. Then maybe the other three are newly infected, so they're now able to spread it. Now they go to a bar. They go to class. They go to a restaurant, not knowing they have it, not wearing a mask because they're too cool for that. Now they spread it to another 20 people each. Do you see the problem? Yeah. Where does it stop? Once someone gets healthy from it, who's to say they can't get it again? There's no data to support that the antibodies that you develop after being um, exposed to it the first time prevent you from getting it a future time. Um, there is good suspicion that that's true, but that's not the case, or at least confirmed case yet. So even if you've had it once, that doesn't, hopefully you can never get it again, but I haven't seen any solid data to support that case. Um, so the, the question becomes, if you want to have football, what is the smartest and safest way to do that? You have to test them daily. You have to isolate them. And unfortunately, if you want to play on the football team or whatever team you're talking about, you're going to have to quarantine. We're going to have to keep you uh, together because the risk of you spreading it to 10 of your friends, just like that football team, is very high. You know, and, 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 and the problem is, if this is going to affect their lungs, which indirectly it does, that's a whole new set of headaches. So you may have heard about the severe case in Chicago of a 20, I think she was 20 year old girl moved from North Carolina, got a little sick. She was put on a medicine that decreased her immune system. So either an antibiotic or an or a steroid. One of the two, we don't know. They won't tell us. This young girl, very, very healthy, developed COVID. She went from healthy to on a respirator trying to live within less than a month. She underwent a bilateral or double lung transplant. 
very, very rare operation because it's so risky. The lung tissue is like paper mache. It's really hard. This is really rare. So the, the surgeon who did the actual procedure, after evaluating the lung, said this is one of the worst lungs I've ever seen. So that gives you some idea of how crazy this virus can be over a short window. This happened over a six or eight, eight week period. And it's supposedly healthy 20 something year olds. So while some people, most people are going to be lucky, you have these situations where you may not be the lucky one. You know, it's crazy. I mean, um, I, I, I don't mean Debbie Downer, but I'm just trying to be a realist. Uh, and, and I feel like if you're in a doctor's office and you don't want the doctor to sugarcoat it, they want him to give it to you straight. Uh, because it doesn't do you any good if they're, if they're sugarcoating it. Um, and the problem is, uh, I think uh, most of the the media and, and the news networks or whatever, they just kind of don't talk about it anymore. They're just kind of sick of it and they want to talk about other stuff. But unfortunately, that may be part of the problem. If you are, if you look at the the data from Europe versus the United States, which is a roughly equivalent population in terms of all of Europe and, and the United States, uh, 300 plus million. The numbers in Europe were worse initially than the United States, but the numbers in Europe are much better now than quite the opposite here, whereas everything is starting to go up. So they were a lot stricter in their reopening, unfortunately, unlike us, who a lot of states were kind of willy-nilly and just kind of made their own decision. Yes, you can get back to life, but at what cost? You know, personally, in my small town, uh, up, uh, just north of West Palm, there are three weeks ago, we'll call it two weeks ago, there were 10 hospitalized cases of COVID confirmed. Then, as of yesterday, there were 70. That's a seven-fold increase in two weeks. And this is just one example. You know, that's the problem, is that when people start going out and not wearing masks, unfortunately, the risk of transmission re, uh, increases dramatically. So, are we still on the are we still in the first wave? There's been talk about that first wave, second wave. What, what what's that situation like? What's the difference? Is there a difference? I don't know. I I don't know. Good question. I mean, how do you distinguish when the first wave ends? Yeah. You know, I mean, was the first wave, when did the first wave start? You know, there, you can argue that, um, that the earliest cases were in January in Seattle. There were some in Boston, the early, earliest, and someone flying in from China. But to most people, you know, people didn't start getting it, at least spreading it per se, until March, you know, mid to late March, maybe early April. So we'll call that the beginning. Um, you know, when did the dip and, and then the second one starts, that's probably when I would say the first wave ended. And I would say this is probably uh, either the end of the first wave or the beginning of the second wave, depending on how you want to look at it. Because we never fully got it to zero, which in my opinion should be the end of a wave, or at least very, very low. And I don't feel like we ever got it to a comfortably low level. Um you know, something like China or, or, or one of the other, New Zealand, one of the other major countries that uh, pretty much eradicated it. And then all of a sudden a new strain or a, a, a new uh, hotspot popped back up. I, in my opinion, that would be a second 
wave. And, 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 and this, I think this is almost the, the continuation of the first wave. Sure. So I guess then this is my last question for you. I'll let you get back to work or lunch. Um, we talked in the, in the beginning in March, we talked about how important it is to flatten the curve, why we all stayed home for three months. That's why I didn't go. I mean, guys, I, I'm not, I'm a healthy young man. I probably could have put a mask on and gone to Lowe's or gone to the grocery store, but we didn't go to the grocery. We have not been in the grocery store since March once or twice and to the checkout and back. I bought some firewood one day, but outside of that, the whole point of this was to stay in, stay isolated and flatten the curve. Do you believe that we've been successful to that to this point? Yes. Um, to, to an extent, could we have done things better? Yes. Uh, predominantly move the timing of this by about two or three weeks. I think that would have made a big deal. Um, I wish New York handled it a little bit better than they did. If they started treating their um, uh, their elderly population and not putting them back in the homes that they just came from after they were healthy and potentially regetting it again or whatever. Um, for the most part, we did a good job. The goal was to decrease the potential significant burden on hospitalization. But that just because we did it once and the initial uh, onslaught was decreased doesn't mean uh, that we can just uh, kind of go back to normal life because everything's normal again. Unfortunately, that's obviously not the case. Um, so the, the question becomes, what do we do now? And I feel like there's a lack of leadership. I feel like we don't have a, a unified voice to say, this is what we're seeing. This is what we, uh, this is what we should be doing now. Every state's kind of on their own. That's kind of a problem. That when the task force, the, the, the Dr. Fauci and, 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 and Burks were meeting daily or probably multiple times a day back in March and April, they meet twice a week now, you know? They, you when was the last time you saw Fauci on TV? Yeah. Like he doesn't even, he's no longer really relevant. And but why? Do we do we proclaim it victory and and, and the virus is dying? No. Have you seen the numbers? Um, no, they're not. It's quite the opposite, actually. Uh, so yes, we were successful, but I think we we're letting our guard down, and I'm hoping we don't go back into lockdown again. Yeah, I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of going back into lockdown again. I think that could be bad in a lot of different ways. Obviously, I mean, this is a football podcast. It's not an economics podcast, but we made it through the first time. It took a bunch of money. It took a bunch of money. That argue, we could talk about that. Should you have spent the money and to keep the market up? Should you not have? I don't know. Well, that's a different, different story for a different podcast. But we'd have to revisit that again. We, I mean, people are going to start going crazy if they have to stay in their house another three months. That's just what it is. People are just going to lose their minds. So, so yeah, I'm with you. I'll wear my mask. I hate it. Wear your mask, people. It's pain in the ass, but wear your damn mask. It'll help everybody. And it'll even stop the us. cheap ones. Even the cheap ones. I got a cheap little one, and I've got a little bag of them. Work bought a whole bunch of them, and I, I've got a couple reusable ones, but work got a big bag of them, and every once in a while, I'll grab a couple to take home so that I always have one in my car so that if I want to go to the liquor store, if I want to stop into the hardware store and get the one bolt that I'm missing for something, then I don't have to feel bad about doing it because I'm not making the problem worse. Do you have anything else? Anything else to add? I hope we can uh, figure out this, and and, and we're we're learning more every day. We know which meds work. I'll I'll get onto that tangent really quickly, but uh, and we know which uh, tests to do. We know how to treat this. A couple new things that I will briefly comment on. 
dexamethasone, some decent um, early data to show that it may help. I use dexa all the time, or it's because of methylphenicillone. It is a very potent oral anti-inflammatory. You can do it IV versus as well. Um, not surprised it helps because it's a really potent anti-inflammatory. Um, the question about hydroxychloroquine. Ooh. So, um, yeah, um, I, I need to touch on this because it's kind of faded out of the um, out of the news, and um, but it but it hasn't really been addressed, and it should be. So, um, hydroxychloroquine was praised by somebody as the next drug to fix this. But that information and that statement was based on a small study of 20 patients, 2-0, in France that actually did not pay attention to the people that died or had significant side effects as a result of being on the medicine. As we now know, the FDA has pulled it from being used for COVID. But the problem is the government bought 62 million doses of it. Now they have all these extra doses that they have nothing to do with because they can't use it. Here's the main problem, in my opinion. I don't care about the money that they spent or whatever. What about the patients that actually need this med for what they actually are supposed to use it for? Malaria? Uh, lupus, whatever their whatever the specific indication, they, they can't get the med because it was all bought up. What do they do? Like that's the issue when you make decisions uh, based on poor information and based on uh, 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 someone making a quick poor judgment. When you're when you're not a medical professional, but you're making medical professional decisions based on information that you don't understand, this there's a significant trickle down effect that needs to be addressed, but, but, but no one wants to address it, and they just want to sweep it under the rug like it never happened. But unfortunately, that's the harsh reality of what's going on, is that this med never worked. It, it, maybe a couple people did, but for the strong majority, the risk was better than the reward. You know, so um, that, that's just a quick statement about hydroxychloroquine um, for, for in terms of COVID. Um, but that's all I knew with that. Yeah. Well, I hope, um, man, I didn't, I'd never thought about, you know, the ramifications of a government or any company or entity or, or person or whatever it would be the, the result of hoarding. I mean, of course I remember with the toilet paper, I, I don't know about you down there, but up here in Indiana, there was no toilet paper all of March. There was none of it. And that, that yeah. pales in comparison to think about, um, life-saving medication. I would hope that for whether whether the current administration is one you like or you don't, and I know how you feel about it, and that's perfectly fine. Whether or not the the and and I agree with your logic completely. There's no defense of making quick, harsh judgments on things that are not proven. I would hope that the current administration is smart enough to find a way. They're probably going to lose their ass on this deal. They're probably going to have to sell this medicine back to somebody. I and mean, do they have a use to keep it? Um, or does it expire? Is it wasted? I don't know. Those are other questions, I guess I would, I would, I would really like to know. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, I'm sure they can get the manufacturers to take it back and resell it, but, uh, there isn't, this is, remember, this is not a med that we use every day. It's been around for over 50 years. It's been there. We know about it. We know the risk. This is not a new indication for it. It just was tried to be, it was tried to, it was forced upon us to try to be a bandaid because it was I cheap. See. But the problem is it's not safe. So now you have all these extra doses 
um, and nothing and not nothing to use them. It's not like it's aspirin or something that people use okay. regularly uh, daily. You know, but that's that's not a big deal in my opinion. The, 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 the purpose of that statement was more so uh, to demonstrate that one short poor decision can become uh, such a big problem. You know, depending on depending on the voice or the medium that's pushing it. Yeah. You know, based on a poor, a, 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 a poorly funded and, and uh, coordinated study, uh, which didn't even hold water, a big decision was made and bigger decisions were made after that. And then it had a huge snowball effect and you can't undo that snowball. You know, that's, you know, that's the, 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 the stampede, uh, the remnants from the stampede are, are here, but we can't prevent the stampede from happening. You know, we can't go back and fix yeah, that. So yeah. let's just make better decisions going forward. I hope we do make better decisions. And I, I, I do agree with all of your points on the leadership. We have been so scattered uh, as a country between, I mean, so, so many extremes from uh, Michigan. I'm thinking of the way that Michigan has handled this, the Michigan governor, the way that Florida, the beaches open and close and, and California is so different than New York. And it, you're right. It would have been great to have, to have one united voice, at least we would have felt better about the situation. We would have been united under maybe in a different administration. I acknowledge, I'll acknowledge that much for sure. And I do wish that we had one clear path to, uh, to getting out of this thing. Yeah. Well, from going forward, we need a new, we need a voice and a voice of reason that actually, uh, gives good direction that has good data that just doesn't talk that when, when they talk, their, their statements mean something. They are backed by strong uh, statements. They are backed by strong uh, uh, studies. And um, they, are support, they are supported by, uh, by actual good data to, rather than just saying, yeah, well, I think that's a good idea. Uh, because a lot of people make those their own decisions based on that decision. Well, there you have it. Thanks for joining the show, man. Glad to have you again. No problem. You've been listening to Huddle Up, a football podcast. Subscribe on your favorite platform and follow us at Huddle Up NFL and at Commissioner Mister on Twitter to keep up on the latest from the NFL and stay in the huddle. Huddle Up. Team on three. One, two, three, three.